Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Amazing Podcast. It's great to have you with us. I'm Dwayne Taylor, editor at Amazing, and uh, we bring you all things cloud native. It's what we love. It's what we are passionate about. And uh, not just uh, this podcast, but we do a lot more at our website, which is amazic.com. Uh, go and check it out. We've got articles and job listings and event coverage, a lot of interesting stuff that you'd love there. Um, and uh, for today's episode, I have with me uh, someone who's uh, familiar. We've had him before this once, uh, but it's been almost a year. And so, uh, you know, he uh, tipped me off that something Big just dropped at uh, his his startup, and so uh, I thought, why not have him over and uh, you know get him to tell us about it. So I have with me Alex Olivier, who is the co-founder and chief product officer at Serbos. Alex, it's great to have you with us again. Welcome back. Hey, good to see you again, Thes. Thank you again for having me. Uh, really enjoyed our discussion last time and everything cloud native. So uh, we're definitely keen to speak to you about the latest and greatest in the authorization space and what we've been up to at Serbos. Yeah, yeah. You guys are a really exciting time because you're quite early stage, right? And this is, uh, you know, you're probably, you're, it, it's been open source. You, you have an open source foundation and now yes. uh, building out your product around this. It's a really exciting uh, phase in the journey for Serbos, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. We have been around for a few years now. We open sourced our the core engine of Serverless, the Serverless Policy Decision Point, Serverless PDP. That's an open source project. Go and grab it off GitHub, patch to license. We're a CNCF uh, member as well, uh, and that's really the core uh, en engine of Serverless. And that's what's been used uh, to this day by companies large and small, ranging from early stage startups through to multi billion dollar publicly listed uh, companies. Uh, are using Serbos to manage their authorization space. And then what we've been up to for the last good year, really, um, is building out Serbos Hub, uh, which we announced uh, at KubeCon in Europe uh, last year in Amsterdam. And then we uh, opened up access uh, to anyone that wanted to try it at KubeCon in North America in, in last November in Chicago. So it's been a really busy year uh, for Serbos and kind of growing the company, both the open source project and the uh, product that sits on top, this kind of commercial open source uh, model. Uh, it's been a lot of work, but a lot of fun. And we're really excited to get more uh, users on board and helping them rationalize their authorization in their systems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds like a really exciting year for you. Uh, it's probably kept you really busy, like you were saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, have there been a lot of iterations, a lot of new features getting added along the way because you had seemed like a gradual rollout mm. uh, have there been a lot of new things added uh, that kind of might, might have been surprised might have surprised you at all yeah absolutely so we've kind of got this sort of two tracks we have the open source project service policy decision point and that's kind of been a constant iteration both by uh, our team here at service but also you know any anyone out there and we're very lucky to have a very vibrant and active community around the the project uh, so we've had contributions from, from users, our own teams, uh, lots of discussion and input and in both our like GitHub issues uh, for, for that, but also our, our Slack community. Um, so the core of Serbos has actually uh, been extended and iterated on a fair bit in the last year. So there's been new capabilities added. I think one to highlight, which was really driven by the community, is the concept of policy outputs. Um, so just to kind of recap uh, for, for our discussion from last time, for those that may not have heard it, 
So Cerberus is an engine that allows you to define your authorization logic as policy rather than the code. So your policy is defined. Here are the def default, uh, here are the different resource kinds in my application. So users, expenses, documents, assets, whatever your application models. And then in that policy, which in the Cerberus open source project is a YAML file, very easy to read, love it or hate it, it's YAML. Um, you define the different actions that a user can do or a principal can do upon those resource types and then under which conditions. So you must have a certain role or a, for your typical RBAC or role-based access control model, but where the power of service comes in is writing conditions so for attribute-based access control. So a user can edit a resource only if they are the owner of it, for example. And that's where you have a condition that checks whether the user's ID is equal to the owner ID attribute of the resource. So that was kind of, those, those policies gave you kind of a Boolean answer. So this, this action should be allowed or not. And one of the, mm -hmm. uh, one of the kind of big discussion points in the Slack community and, and GitHub as well is like, well, what if I need more than just a Boolean allowed deny? What if I want to provide some context about why an action was either allowed or denied? Because let's say you wanted to present a, a friendly error message or a friendly sort of prompt to a user uh, based on your policy. So we added the concept of policy outputs. Um, and again, that was driven by the community, kind of worked on collaboratively. So now along with defining whether an action should be allowed or not, you can actually construct an output uh, and that could be a, a string, it could be an integer, it could be whatever you want from JSON, you can define it in your policy. So when yeah. Cerberus gives you your application an answer, either allow or deny, it also brings along that output. And to give you kind of a, a tangible example of that is let's say you want some actions to only be allowed if uh, you've had a two-factor authentication. Say you're like a bank system. We have a lot of fintech users of Cerberus. Let's say you will only want to allow a user to make a transfer to another bank account if they've done a second factor authentication in the last 10 minutes. But one of the attributes you have about user is when did they last do their 2FA? So that's a timestamp. In your policy, you can say, okay, this action shouldn't be allowed if that timestamp was in the last 10 minutes. And if it's and if the answer is denied, you want to actually return back to the user saying it's denied because your 2FA is kind of stale and you want your maybe you want to tell your application to go and send the user off to go in. Uh, revalidate their, their session. So that's the power of using outputs rather than just giving you a binary answer and actually uh, gives you the context for why an action was either allowed or denied. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay, cool. Yeah, that's like a really good uh, detail, actually, uh, you know, explanation of what Serverless Hub does and covered a lot of ground in that response. Uh, but I want to kind of break it down a bit and dig into sure. uh, pieces of what you just explained. And uh, I want to just uh, start off with... Uh, talking about just uh, some of the challenges with doing all of this, the manual way and uh, the usual way. Uh, what yeah. are the challenges with authorization? What's Servos Hub trying to actually solve? Yeah, absolutely. So every application at the, at the point where you have more than one user or one user role, you're going to have to handle authorization. So just to go back to basics, authentication and authorization are two different concepts. Uh, unfortunately, they they kind of get reduced these days to so just authn and authz, and even that is a bit confusing. So authentication mm -hmm. is about prompting the user to present a credential and then verifying that credential, and you get an identity. So, mm -hmm. and you know your classic login with the GitHub account, and you get back an identity from the GitHub IOF flow that says, okay, this person is Alex Olivier, this person is Twain Taylor, etc. The second piece is okay once you know who a user is. What can they actually do inside of your application? And that's where authorization comes in, Auth Z. And this is the logic that generally is going to be sprinkled across your code base uh, traditionally. And this is certainly where I started. 
where you have like your request handler and say your API, and you want to make sure that only this particular API route or this particular API action it can be called if someone is authenticated and they have the role of manager, let's say. So mm -hmm. somewhere in your code base, there's going to be an if statement that says if user dot role includes manager, then allow if not return some sort of error. Yeah. And for simple apps, simple applications, simple logic, absolutely fine. Just going wrong with that. But from kind of my experience and the rest of our team's experience of building these systems at multiple companies from Google, Microsoft, Elastic, you know, all, all sorts of kind of experience in our team, that logic is never a simple if statement. There's always going to be a lot of fine-grained yeah. business logic encoded in it. And I'm sure you can imagine from kind of the stuff you've built, how, how hairy and how, how complex that kind of code becomes. You end up with a, basically a big ball of mud or, or spaghetti code trying to work out what action should be allowed or not. Mm -hmm. So Servos is an answer to that problem, which is, okay, let's take all that complicated business logic, which is going to be sp spread out across all sorts, all across your code base, and extract mm -hmm. it out into a standalone component inside of your stack. And Servos is that component, is the policy decision point. And what that now means is your application code, rather than have to hard code all that logic, which let's say you're in microservices and your services are in different languages, whenever the business logic changes, you're going to have to rewrite that logic in n number of languages that say you have in your stack. Servos mm -hmm. is now just an API. So in your application code, rather than hard coding the logic, you just make an API call out to a Servos instance, which for the open source project is a container, it's literally a service that runs in your stack. Uh, Serverless Hub, we actually make that a lot easier. We actually generate a WebAssembly module, which you can essentially embed inside of your application. We can come onto that uh, later. But ultimately, there's a point in your stack now, which is the, the source of truth for authorization logic. And any part of your application can call, call for that, saying, I have this user or principal trying to do this action on this resource. That Serverless decision point, be it a, a, the actual container or uh, the WASM version, will evaluate your policies, which you defined as that YAML I mentioned earlier, and simply return back and allow or deny with that optional output. And then in your code base, it's now a simple if statement. If server says allow, do the action. If not, return some sort of error. So the core yeah. problem we're solving here is that complex business logic that is generally scattered across your code base and extracting yeah. it out into a standalone piece, which is versionable, auditable, testable, um, and, and ultimately verifiable inside of your stack. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, all right. Yeah, it sounds interesting, and you know, policies at the heart of it. And uh, you spoke, you, you mentioned a lot of these things, ideas around policies, uh, ABAC particularly. Um, and yeah, it sounds really interesting. Uh, but you know, as, as you're kind of working on the product, could you kind of shed some light on the journey of getting to uh, what Servos Hub looks like right now? What are some Absolutely. of the design decisions then that went into uh, you know making it? the way it is today, uh, yeah. or in another way, uh, what were some of the decisions that you made that said, no, we're not going to do it this way, even though some people may think this is uh, the right way to do authorization. Instead, we're going to take this route. And that probably makes what what is what makes Servos Hub uh, unique itself. Could you share some background on that, the, the, the whole process of just yeah. coming up the, the product is today? Yeah, absolutely. So we saw from our usage, a couple of years worth of usage of the open source project, how Servos is used as a decision point. And we've seen this, as I said, from like small startups to massive enterprise businesses are using Servos today in production, handling millions and millions and millions of authorization checks a day through through Servos instances. And so talking to those users and seeing how they've set up and deployed their systems, their pipelines, their architectures to basically take advantage of Servos, 
we started to come across kind of a few areas where things were a bit, let's say, more verbose or painful to actually operationalize at scale using Servos. And this is where we started on the journey of Servos Hub. It's like, how can we essentially give you a suite of tools, a suite an uh, offering, a full kind of ecosystem of support that builds on top of that core model and gives you things that make the operational burden of running a scalable authorization system sort of lessen, lessen the burden, as it were, and something that gives, gives you something that's far more scalable and approachable um, to, to use. And particularly, we're looking at this from the aspect of the people that own authorization in the business is not the developer doing the code. It's going to be that that product person. It's going to be the CISO. It's going to be even in some cases like the customer team that kind of worry about the authorization side of things. And these aren't people that are going to be living in the code base. These aren't going to be people that will know Java or Go or Rust or whatever your, your code base is in. So we wanted to come up with this solution that kind of sits on top of the core, but then gives a, a collaborative platform and a collaborative environment to have the relevant people inside of a business use authorization. And the way we, we kind of look at this is authorization should always run inside of your environment. What you don't want to do is have someone like cloud hosted uh, API thing that your application has to call over the internet to make an authorization decision. That is going to be bad for performance because mm -hmm. unlike authentication, which is like a one-off task and you get a token that's valid to say 30 minutes, authorization, you have to check on every single API call. And if you're going to go out over the internet to some cloud-hosted API, et cetera, to make an authorization check, you're going to add n number of milliseconds to every single call, which from an architecture perspective is obviously not recommended. So mm -hmm. the way we designed and architected and one of the key decisions we made with Serverless Hub is, it, is a managed control plane that sits on top of the open core. Mm -hmm. So architecturally, the decision points are still running inside of your cluster or inside of your architecture, inside of your ecosystem, you know, wherever you're running it but they connect out to Serverless Hub in order to get their configuration. So Serverless Hub is a managed control plane, but it's not the data plane if you were to use that terminology at all. So we did a lot of work to get that, that, that synchronization and that, and that uh, connection in a way that is scalable, is a way that's performant. But most importantly, it doesn't, it's not involved at all in the actual decision-making. That happens still locally inside of your cluster, inside of your environment. Interesting. I like. Uh, I found interesting what you spoke about uh, that uh, you know authorization needs to happen natively, uh, and uh, you know it can't be hosted somewhere in the cloud. And uh, I want to just dig in to ask about what does that mean in terms of you know implementation, especially for you, you know, building a product with this idea. What mm -hmm. are some of the challenges of uh, you know building Serverless Hub to run natively? Uh, and you were hinting at even uh, Wasm. Uh, so if yeah. you could kind of light on just this whole idea of, uh, you know, what this means and how, what are the challenges involved and how you've made it happen? Yeah, absolutely. So keeping the core decision point inside of your network, inside of your application is kind of the number one design decision we came, we came to. Um, Service Hub essentially should be, an op is and should always be an optional component that you plug in on, on top of uh, the, open, the open core, the open source uh, decision point. So from day one, we had to design, okay, how can we basically design the APIs for this control plane in a way that we can open source those as well? So the actual API definitions, the actual interfaces that Service Hub uses to communicate to the policy decision points and vice versa, those actual APIs are public. You know, they're in the open source repo. You can go and look at the protocol definitions. And we, we, we always took the approach that 
you know, hopefully we think Service Hub is the best way of doing this, but the APIs are open. So you could actually go and build your own control plane if you wanted on top of it, which you know, some might say is madness. We think is just kind of the right thing to do. Um, particularly as we, you know, we we very much subscribe to the the CNCF kind of philosophy that everything should be open, everything should be extensible, everything should be um, you know, uh, manageable by yourself. Um, so getting that API interface right and then essentially open sourcing that, it, it was something that we took a lot of time over to get right because we needed to make sure it was feature rich enough for all the capabilities we wanted to build the service hub now and in the future, uh, but also make sure it's uh, sort of grokkable and understandable for anyone that did want to go and extend it uh, themselves. So that was, I would say it's kind of the first, first point. The second piece was like, okay, now we have this management control plane and we have the decision points are running your stack. Like how do we uh, keep those two in sync and how do we, we connect those? So Cerberus itself is running Go. Um, it's, you know, that Cerberus hub runs in Kubernetes, all that sort of stuff. The interface we naturally fell into is then gRPC. So Cerberus hub and the pod decision points speak to each other over a bidirectional stream. So leveraging again, this whole ecosystem of CNCF projects um, to kind of build out this, this whole ecosystem around, around Cerberus and Cerberus hub that sits on top of it. Mm -hmm. The actual decision points themselves, they ultimately need to get one thing, which is the policies. So how do we get the policy files from wherever they are into the decision points? And for any sort of scalable or, or I guess, you know, production deployment or service uh, or an application, you're never going to have a single instance of Cerberus. You're going to need that high availability. You're going to need multiple instances. And actually with Cerberus, going back to that performance piece, you actually want to run around Cerberus as close to your application as possible. So the approach we always recommend is a sidecar if you're in Kubernetes. So you literally run a Cerberus instance alongside every application instance uh, that you're running. That means you now have the synchronization problem. If you have five instances of your app running, you're going to have five instances of Cerberus running. How do you make sure those five instances of Cerberus are in running the same version of the policy? And this is one of those operational points that we've heard from users over and over again. It's like, you know, Cerberus is good, it's working, it does what it says in the tin, but whenever we have to push a policy change out, each instance of Cerberus in my application has to go and fetch its policy separately. So with Cerberus Hub, we flip that on the head. So Cerberus Hub ultimately at its core is a CI-CD pipeline. And the CD part of that is a is the component which synchronizes the rollout of policy changes. So whenever there's a policy change, you, know, you push that to your own repo, which you own and control. Service Hub is connected to that repo, gets the webhook from GitHub, let's say, that says, hey, there's a new commit. Service Hub picks up that change, runs the CI, um, so it'll run any tests um, that are going on. If all the tests pass, it will then compile a pre-optimized and pre-compiled version of your policies. So that is a, basically a binary representation of your policy files, and then notifies all the connected Service PDP instances that, hey, there's a new version of your policies available, and then that gets pushed down to all the instances and synchronizes the rollout and change. So what you actually get using Service Hub, along with Service Policy Decision Point, is a far more consistent um, set of policies across your architecture. So uh, whenever there's a new build, all your Service Hub, all, all your Service instances will get that update, and your application thus will serve a consistent authorization decision, um, regardless of how it's deployed and, and set up. Really cool. Yeah, it sounds very interesting that uh, you spoke about how you implemented it uh, in the CICD pipeline model. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Maybe we'll dig into a bit of that later. But uh, for now, I was wondering if you could actually uh, give us a little walkthrough or glimpse of 
Sabos Hub in action. Take the covers off. Show us uh, the product itself and what it looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me just share my screen here. Da, da, da. So I'm actually going to start off with a diagram. Um, I think for for um, sort of anyone that's in this space, um, you know, we don't like doing slides, etc. Um, we like to kind of talk a bit more concrete things, things how how things work, and and uh, you know, again, make sure you get the architecture right in your head is kind of a key one of those. So architecturally. This is ultimately how server works. Servos and Servos Hub works together. So on your left here, you have your end users. So these are in your client applications, be it a mobile app or web app, et cetera. And they're interacting with your API. So requests are going from your client to your API layer. Uh, your API layer could be essentially anything. Servos is agnostic to any particular deployment or architecture. But at some point, you're going to have some service which is going to handle a particular request that comes in. So that app service, based on the request, really knows two things. Firstly, that request is going to be authenticated, most likely, so you know the user's identity, be it you have a JWT token or you can go out to an IDP provider, you know, or zero, cognito, super tokens, whatever you're using for authentication, and you can go and fetch back from that IDP the details about the user. So what team they're in, what roles they're in, what organization they belong to. You might have an actual directory like a uh, Active Directory or an LDAP or those kind of things to get that further context. Second thing you know based on that request is what resource that user is trying to access. So they're trying to view a report, they're trying to edit a invoice, they're trying to export a purchase order, let's say. Again, that's all kind of business specific. Um, but your application database obviously stores that information about the resources. So you can go and query your database to go and fetch that particular resource. Now, at that point, going back to what I was saying earlier, traditionally, you'd write a massive if-else-case-switch-style statement to work out whether an action should be allowed or not using Cerbos. Instead, you run and deploy a Cerbos policy decision point alongside your application. So in your app service, you now make an API call out, either directly or via one of our SDKs, and you send a request to that local instance running alongside your application, saying I've got this principle, because it could be a user, it could be an API service account, for example trying to do this action on this particular resource. These Cerbos policy decision point instances will then have into them loaded into it the policy. And those policies will be evaluated. It will then create a log. So every policy decision point you set up where you want to send the logs to, you know, standard out to be picked up by your log collection system is a good example of typically where they go. Uh, we have support for other backends, Kafka being one that was added by the community recently. And it will create a log entry that says, at this time, this user tried to do this action on this resource, and it was either allowed or denied by this particular policy. So then what comes back to your application is either an allow or deny decision, if you're simply asking for uh, what we call like the check permissions, or you get what we call a query plan. So Serbos has a kind of a unique capability, which is what we call kind of the sorting or uh, the listing or the index problem. So one of the issues when you decouple authorization logic out into a standalone service is how do you filter your database results based on permissions when the permission is going to be dynamic based on policy? So what Serverless has is something called a, a plan resources or a, a query planner capability where you can say to Serverless, I have this user trying to do this action on this kind of resource. So what happens inside of the policy engine is rather than it returning a Boolean, it works out which conditions need to be met for that particular action to be allowed by this particular user. So what you now get back is the smallest set of conditions possible to, for you to apply to your data fetching logic to return just the records from your database, let's say, 
that that user uh, that those conditions would need to be met for that action to be allowed. So what that gives you is essentially a where clause that you pass into your SQL query or whatever you're using, um, which is dynamic based on your policies. And thus what the query you can then run will return just the records that user would have access that, that permission to access. So that's kind of the, the, set, the two types of response you get from Servos. And that's all part of the core open source project. If you just need that, go and use it. You go and use uh, Servos policy decision point, the open source project, you never need to talk to us. Where Servos Hub comes in is that layer on top of it, the management control plane. So in this environment, we try and represent by these boxes, at least, that you have a cluster, you have replicas, um, you know, you might have some on-prem, like some cloud, you might have some edge compute, et cetera, um, which now means you have to do authorization in lots of different places, be it it's just a replica or actually maybe you're in a completely different environment, but you need to make sure the permission checks are, are the same. And that's where Service Hub comes in. So Service Hub primarily is this control plane. You connect Service Hub to your policy store. So a GitHub repo being the most kind of common and most obvious one and the one that's supported today. So you'd have a repo that again you own and control. This is exactly this is yours. You should keep it. You should keep it safe. You should exist in your org. We're not forcing you to use any other storage. You authenticate Servos Hub to your GitHub um, repo via a GitHub app we have. And now Servos Hub is basically wired up to um, run a CI pipeline whenever there's a commit to to your repo. So the core of Service Hub is it gets that commit hook, commits the change, Service Hub then runs the tests, it creates an optimized format uh, binary, uh, and then it, if the tests pass and if the conditions are met, it will then go and push out that change to all the Service instances, regardless of where they are running. So it could be in a Kubernetes cluster, it could be some edge somewhere, it could be in your, it could be in your, um, you know, on-prem. Doesn't really matter as long as they're all connected, or as long as your Service Hub instances are connected to um, the policy decision points, those real-time updates are gonna flow through and keep everything in sync. The, the kind of benefits here are everything's now in sync, but we also think inside of Service Hub give you this kind of collaborative environment. So you can actually work and iterate and evolve your policies in an interactive playground, which I'll show you in a second, um, which is a, a fully sort of collaborative IDE that you can use to uh, manage and evolve your policies. So that's the core of Hub. So you may be wondering what this other line is and this lovely WebAssembly logo, which I promise is not us just jumping on the hype of WebAssembly. Amazing technology. Uh, but for Servos, we actually have, there's a real kind of use case for authorization for using WASM and WebAssembly technologies. <laughs> so as part of the CI pipeline, Servos Hub also produces a secondary output, as well as the policies that go to your containers into the instances running in your architecture. Servos Hub also generates a WASM module of your policy logic. So there's a, essentially a second runtime for evaluating your service policies. One is the PDP service that's running in your stack. The second one is this WASM module. So Service Hub, again, runs a test, makes sure your policy is valid, and then also produces a WASM module, which we then push out to a CDN. And what that now means is you can start pulling your policy files and essentially embed the authorization logic into an edge function or pull even directly in, onto the client via web browser, mobile app, et cetera. And there's a whole group of authorization checks that we kind of call like presentational or uh, UI type authorization uh, logic, which you don't need to require a full round trip to a backend and such to do. Classic example is let's say you're like showing a user a form to edit some resource and that users, what they're allowed to do to that resource is varied based on your policies. 
So you maybe you want to show or hide fields or disable or enable buttons or show or hide menu items based on the resource. At that point, the resource is actually already loaded into the client because you pulled it back from your API. You've done the server-side check to make sure that user can access that resource. So the content, basically the JSON blob or whatever, is now back on the client. But now you actually want to conditionally render components on the page. That doesn't really necessarily necessitate a call back to your backend to then call Serbos and then that full round trip. So what you can do is then using the exact same SDKs, rather than hitting a server-side PDP version of Serbos, you pull in that WESM module. And then all the evaluation is done on device or at edge and sample in an edge function. So it's going to be super fast because it's energy all local or on the edge. And you're getting the exact same response format, response type um, into your application. So those show and hide logic, those allow denies will happen directly on device. Far more snappy, um, save the load on your backend. Um, and, but the key thing here is the policies are always synchronized with what the policies are without running in your backend as well, because Serverless Hub is managing that CI for you and then coordinating the rollout and the push out of both the decision points running in your backend, as well as pushing out the update to the WASM module that's sitting on a CDN. So your clients can then pull that in and start um, um, authorizing with the latest and greatest version of your policies. And so it's consistent everywhere. And WASM is the technology that really allows it because WASM you can run basically anywhere these days. Okay, okay, wow, very cool. Uh, sounds like there's a big focus on just uh, performance, uh, especially you're talking about how uh, you know it seems that this this uh, metadata kind of thing that you that you have something indexed where you know policies are kind of abstracted and I like what you spoke about where uh, you know Servos Hub looks for the bare minimum policies that need to be met. Uh, for someone to have access to a resource. Uh, that was really interesting. And I think those kind of things are what really uh, add up to making performance uh, really, you know, low latency and uh, real time. And uh, no matter where it is, uh, like you were mentioning, even on the edge, it could be on a device and, you know, you still need that performance. And these are the kind of things that really make that possible, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, performance is the heart of every decision we make with with servos because we are aware both from hard experiences learned from from at scale systems you know my, my background is managing systems that did tens of billions of requests a day through them um and there's certain architectural patterns that just break at that scale particularly if you're trying to store state and cache things at the edge and those sort of things they they will fall down it's a matter of when not if we're at that kind of that, that scale and all the fun of eventual consistency etc so we've taken those lessons and we've applied it for how we built both Servos and Servos Hub for this performance piece, because authorization is going to be and has to be in the blocking path of every single request that your application is handling. So Servos itself needs to be as performant as possible. And it's not just us making sure our code is built sensibly, but our decisions in terms of using things like a gRPC API, because it's more performant than HTTP, is the way we've architected it. So Servos is completely stateless. So all the context about what your authorization authorizing is provided in the request, thus Servos itself doesn't need to maintain state. It doesn't have its own data store or anything like that. Thus, you can actually have multiple and many, many, many versions of Servos running inside of your stack. Hence, you can use like the sidecar model. And that way, the network time between your application and getting your authorization decision is, is minimal to none, depending on how you, how you deploy it. And then with the WESM piece as well, removing unnecessary network time completely. So actually pulling it the policies directly onto device or into an edge function and those kind of things via a WASM module 
removes the whole need for that uh, as well for those use cases. So again, it's all about performance because we're just super focused on where or where authorization needs to be done. And you know, another piece uh, that was, I think, really showed, uh, stood out in uh, your explanation in the architecture diagram was uh, just enabling collaboration uh, and uh, the two-way sync that you mentioned um, and just uh, making this even possible, uh, you know, no matter where uh, your, uh, your your application or your cluster yeah. is. Uh, could you talk a bit about that? And it seems like the ID has something to do with it. And you're mentioning you give us a glimpse of the ID as well. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we we kind of discovered quite early on, speaking to users of the open source project, is that it it is always a collaborative. Um, journey to write your authorization logic because the requirements again aren't just a jira ticket it's going to be the work of the product person responsible for the product it's going to be work inputs from your CISO. let's say for a security standpoint you might have inputs from your customer team you might even have inputs from your sales team around how access should be defined inside of a system um and so what we were generally seeing is there would be a developer a product person some other representative or stakeholder business all sitting around writing policy together and we always tell users to start out like just get a spreadsheet have all your different user roles have all your different actions and then start by putting yes allow or deny in each of the cells and then you very quickly realize that actually some of these are not allow or deny it's allow or deny or allow or deny under certain conditions and then you end up with basically the matrix of what permission should be from then converting that into policy is actually pretty simple but as we saw you know we, we built servos during you know, the, the the coronavirus years of everyone remote, et cetera, we are a fully remote company, is we end up, we were seeing lots of users just like screen sharing their IDEs and running tests, et cetera. It's like, well, how can we make this a bit easier to do? And with Service Hub, we have a fully collaborative ID environment, which I can pull up an example of uh, in a second. And basically this is a ID environment, which is collaborative in the sense that it's, you know, a la Google Docs, where you, you know, multiple users are working together on uh, policies and the Cerberus Hub playground uh, is exactly this. So you get a very familiar kind of IDE environment, if you know, VS Code, et cetera, um, of, of your policies. And these are pulling your policies from your Git repo, or you can create files directly in here. And as well as give you your very standard code editor with all the things you expect in terms of autocomplete and snippets and such, you also get value-add kind of capabilities. So as well as just giving you an IDE that gives you your policy files and having multiple users in it. So if I, for example, pull up a second window off screen here and I go into the same file, this highlighting stuff is very much like, you know, your Google Docs style experience. You can see the different users inside of a file, et cetera. And um, we also give you this, this side panel here, which is what we kind of call the explore panel. So as you're writing policies, inside of this IDE and this side of this playground, we're also evaluating those policies based on given inputs. So as well as writing your policy logic, you can define your tests and you write fixtures for those tests. So here are my reference principles, here are my reference resources. Um, and then Service Hub, as you're editing things in your playground here, is actually evaluating those policies. So if I go and look at uh, different resources from my fixtures, hopefully below you can see as I click between these, where you're getting different answers and different results and different decisions. So this is the tooling that has you, uh, as you're collaboratively working on your policies, see the impact of those changes you're working on in real time. So I can go and change these policy files. 
Um, and actually, I'm make this a deny. Now, firstly, I'm going to make a typo and say, oh, and you get that feedback that you're kind of used to of like, okay, what's wrong with my file? You get IntelliSense, all the fun stuff you're kind of used to as well. Um, and then as you do actually make those changes, we're constantly really evaluating those inputs and giving your different actions. And the second piece we're doing is running the tests. So as well as defining your reference fixtures, you can also write your tests with your actual and expected values of whether an action should be allowed or not. And then we're evaluating running those tests as you're writing, and then you can go in and actually update your tests and such. So what we were seeing and the kind of journey we saw, saw with users during our sort of uh, development of this is we, you would have generally a developer or two working on the policies. You might have that product person sitting on or looking over the shoulder. And as your clarity working on things, um, getting that feedback and really understanding what's going on. And then it's a very natural progression once you've got your policies, your tests to then push into a CI pipeline. And then with Service Hub, that's where the build piece comes in. So as every time you push a commit, we're running the pipeline. If, for example, the tests fail, we give you the output of what kind of why the test failed, et cetera. You can drill down into that exactly what's going on. You can jump straight to the GitHub commit. Um, and that is both for the service version, so the container version, but also the embedded version. So that was a module. Service Hub is running through the pipeline. And then when your decision points are actually out there, we give you essentially the snippets to go and integrate it uh, into your environments. This is an example of how you go and integrate the WASM version uh, into a JavaScript uh, framework. So you install a package, you point out the URL we give you, and now that application or that edge function or that client is always going to get the latest version of your policies. So it's a complete ecosystem of tooling from collaborative policy editing through to manage, build, test, deploy, uh, and then giving you the the uh, steps to go and actually run the decision points inside of your environment or inside of it as a module. And then we'll give you the feedback as well in terms of which instances are running, how many, uh, which version they're on, which version of the policies are deployed, et cetera. So it gives you the insight piece at the end uh, also. So again, it's like a complete end-to-end -end way of managing and scaling your authorization logic on top, built on top of the open source service project. Mm -hmm. Oh, really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think really cool. Um, Great uh, analogy of Google Docs as well, something uh, we all use uh, every day. And uh, I think uh, really amazing that uh, you've uh, taken some of those concepts and applied it here to uh, Servos Hub. Uh, I want to ask about just uh, like, uh, if the, what about, you know, uh, talking about just how authorization decisions are made, uh, if if you try to, try to make any of that into the product as well, where, you know, because there's, these are the actual policies uh, but how these policies get defined itself, you know, there's this whole discussions behind those policies mm -hmm. everywhere, all over the place, in person, in Jira tickets and, uh, oh, yeah. and everywhere else. Uh, any, any efforts or any thoughts on that? You know, uh, how do you capture the sort of decision process behind these uh, policies and how they get framed? Anywhere to write notes or comments or even have discussions on particular policies? Anything of that sort? Yeah, so this is always one of those challenges where you're kind of essentially building like a workflow tool. Is like, how do you integrate into users' existing ways of working? Because we could go and build a whole, you know, Jira type tool or a linear or whatever into Service Hub, but then what's the incentive to go and use that over your existing tools if you already have a process? And particularly for some of the authorization that does touch so many different parts of a business and so many uh, different parts of an organization with various different stakeholders. Yeah, you really don't want to have to come pull people out of their existing tools and existing workflows. 
So the way we kind of approach it, anyone that goes and uses Serverless Hub, we kind of point them in the direction of sort of best practices, but we're not forcing you into any particular way of working until the point where you're actually taking your business logic and turning it into policy. And that's why we did invest in doing things like the collaborative editing, the actual IDE environment, the playground environment, because that's the point where you will be out of your existing you know, Jira, Asana, Linear, whatever you're using, and into actual implementation mode. And then that's where it kind of makes sense to give you an environment that goes beyond just giving you a code editor, but also enriches it with the tooling that you saw where we run the tests, we give you that real-time feedback, et cetera. So there's a... We decided not to go down the route of like building a sort of a, a you know, Trello, Asana, linear type capability, like go and use your existing thing. Where it does plug in though is because Serverless Hub keeps your policies in your existing GitHub repo, your workflow in terms of how you manage and, and do PRs, et cetera, in your development team doesn't change because it's just another repo in your existing GitHub organization. So we integrate at that point. Um, and that way you're not you know, locked in to Serverless Hub at any point. We have even went to the, the point of setting it up such that if you wanted to rip out Serverless Hub because you're fed up with it for you know, whatever reason, hopefully you'd talk to us first rather than doing that. Um, it's just a one-line config change in your Serverless policy decision points to just pull the policy files directly from your GitHub and bypass Serverless Hub. So the onboarding and offboarding is both as seamless as possible. It's literally a config change to go from Serverless PDP pulling from GitHub to pulling it from Serverless Hub or vice versa. So again, it's about no lock-in. It's about making sure that we fit your existing workflows. And it's about making sure that you are working in a much more scalable way than having to build everything yourself when really you should be focusing on building your actual application. Yeah. And as we're winding down, I want to touch on this uh, topic of the CI/CD pipeline that you mentioned kind of also has threads of just ideas around GitOps and using just mm -hmm. GitOps, uh, updating them, which is already part of your workflow. Uh, and I want to ask about, you know, uh, rollbacks, you know, uh, I'm sure that, you know, it, it, it's, it's really simple for you to roll back uh, to a previous state uh, in any of your policies. Could you talk a bit about that? How easy is that and how, how does that work? And uh, yeah, just uh, anything uh, as we as we wind down on just GitOps model, the CI/CD yeah. model, how uh, that makes all of this possible. Yeah, so Service Hub is designed as GitOps ultimately. You know, GitHub is your your Git repo is your source of truth for your authorization policies. That should always be the case. Um, it shouldn't be some random cloud service that you're provided to that holds your truth. You should own and control on everything that goes on. So Service Hub is the CI layer, CI/CD layer that sits on top of that source of truth and is triggered by any changes to that underlying repository. And then the bit we've we've added on top of that is rather than every commit going straight out to production or whatever environment you want, you obviously don't want that, is we have the concept of deployment labels inside of Service Hub. So yeah. a, a deployment label is a configuration file that sits alongside your policies inside of your, again, your Git repo. It's another YAML file. But this time it defines a pointers ultimately. So you can create as many labels as you want. You might have one for production, you might have one for latest, you might have one for dev, you might have one for stage, you might have one for some feature branch. And then you define to which GitHub, uh, which Git commit, which Git branch, or which Git cab tag that that label points to. So that is a dynamic mapping. And you can update that and change that as you wish. And what Serverless Hub then does is when a commit comes in, it works out which label if that bill passes, it point, points to that particular commit or that reference. 
And then when you deploy the decision points in your stack, be it the service, the container, or the Wizen point, uh, you, de you define which label it, that decision point should receive policies for. So in the case where you wanted to have your production environment that maybe is a, a tag, let's say, you like a tag a commit and like this is your production deploy or a branch even, your label file, your mapping file would say, okay, the label the, the, the service hub label production points to the tag production or the branch production. So only when CI passes and those labels match, those references match, do the policy changes get pushed out to those particular environments. So you could run production, staging, dev, local, edge, whatever, your different environments. And the, all you need to do is in your configuration file for your decision points, just tell it which label for it to look out for, or which label for it to subscribe to changes to. So rolling back and those kind of things is just another commit to your repo that you're used to. And then all the connected, all the registered decision points will receive the updates as and when uh, need be kind of as you're used to. And that label file is just another asset in your Git repo, thus itself is versionable. Um, and thus can evolve and change and go with the whole GitOps philosophy. Oh, pretty cool. Deployment labels. Uh, I think, yeah, just one more example of just uh, how you use metadata and abstract away all of that uh, complexity and uh, just make it more usable. Uh, yeah, really interesting. Um, so for, for people who are listening to this and want to get started using Serboss Hub, uh, how would you recommend they get started? Yeah, absolutely. So we always say recommend us the best way to get started is go and try out the playground. So you can get started, just go to servos.dev and there'll be a link in the description of this episode as well, I'm sure. Um, and then that will take you through do it directly into Servos Hub. Uh, when you land on the land on the Servos Hub's homepage, um, the very first thing we prompt you with is, hey, go and open up this existing sort of reference demo playground that we have. Uh, and that playground has some example policies loaded into it. And you can start iterating and, and evolving those to match your requirements until you get to something uh, that is a bit more um, aligned with what your requirements are. And if you manage to model your requirements, great. You can go to the next step, which is going actually create a whole workspace which sets up the CI pipeline, connects to a Git repo that you have, et cetera. But the best place to start is just go straight into a playground and start playing with it ultimately and, and try and model your, your authorization requirements using Serverless policies. All right, so there you have it, folks, fresh off the oven. We got so <laughs> uh Go and check it out. Uh, I think uh, it's really cool uh, the way that Alex presented it today. And I think it's definitely going to simplify a lot of uh, the issues around authorization. If you had them, uh, it's time to say goodbye to all of them. Uh, so uh, really uh, stands out, I think, in terms of just how it focuses on performance and uh, how it enables collaboration. I think uh, these two really stood out for me and just how it really blends into your existing workflow as well. If you're already uh, on your journey, uh, advancing in cloud native, GitOps, CICD, platform engineering, uh, uh, you know, then Servos is going to fit right in uh, whether you're getting started. Or I think uh, if you're more advanced and you've got more complex problems, I think uh, Servos is something you should uh, give uh, uh, you should look into. So thanks so much, Alex. But before you go, I've got a couple of questions to get to know you a bit more. Um, so I want to ask, uh, could you name one? Uh, could be a tech company or a tech product. It could be a software. It could be hardware, device, anything at all uh, that you've been using that uh, that inspires you, something that you love. Uh, you being CPO, Chief Product Officer as well. I'm curious to know uh, what product or products inspire you these days. 
yeah, I would say completely away from the world of authorization uh, and just like my own, you know, scratch my own itch or whatever phrase you want to use there that I'm really interested in is actually the home automation space. So I spend a lot of time winding my wife up with all sorts of smart stuff inside of our house, say buttons and switches and such, but going with my kind of core philosophy that everything should be open source. I'm a, I'm a massive fan of something called Home Assistant, if you haven't heard of it, uh, which is an open source home automation system and that you can run on a Raspberry Pi or something inside of, of your house. It connects to your existing smart devices and then kind of how that plugs into the wider ecosystem of services and APIs and such. And there's now people doing crazy stuff with uh, LLMs where you can have much more interactive discussions and do voice detection and such uh, to basically replace your existing Alexas or Google Homes with something that's fully self-hosted that you own and control. Obviously ties in with service there. Um, that whole project and that whole ecosystem is amazing and I highly recommend you go and uh, check it out. What's, what's the name again? Home Assistant. Okay, it's open source, is it? It is. All right, all right, cool. Um, what's uh, what's your favorite source for finding out what's new and happening in tech? <clears throat> so, if you asked me like a year ago, I'd probably said uh, you know hacking news, etc. Um, but the one that we I spend more time looking at is uh, daily.dev. Um, I have it as my like new tab in uh, my my browser so unfortunately every time i open a new tab i usually get distracted by something um but i don't know what magic they're doing behind with it with the algorithm and such but everything it recommends to me is kind of spot on um and that's sort of one of the places i go and look and also just listen to a lot a lot of podcasts and such um i would say is the other one first thing uh, i haven't heard of this i'm sorry uh no worries got a back throat <clears throat> um don't ask uh... <laughs> Maybe your last question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. um, what's the open source project you spent the most time with? Oh, that is a good question. I mean, outside of work, definitely Home Assistant. I think the one I spend the most time with now, um, we use GRPC a lot with, with Servos. And there's a great company and open source project out there called Buff, Build Above. Which uh, buff build, uh, which is uh, makes kind of the GRPC ecosystem and the workflow and the developer experience around it much uh, saner. That say there may be some of these original GRPC projects. So definitely go worth checking it out. Uh, Connect RPC is their kind of implementation of GRPC, uh, which we're using extensively inside of Servos, and I I kind of look uh, to them and how they approach, how they do their open source, how they do their documentation, etc. A really kind of good standard to aspire to. Um, it's quite niche. It's quite in the weeds, but it, it's a really fascinating um, project and ecosystem they're building there. Oh, it's really neat. Yeah, sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm still recovering from a flu, so yeah, got a sudden. There's <laughs> uh, uh, something horrible going around at the moment, so <laughs> yeah. I hope you feel better. Yeah, thanks. Um, it was lovely talking to Alex and uh, wish you the best uh, with the Servos Hub. <clears throat> and uh, hope to have you again after a while when, you know, something big comes by and you guys are up to something cool. Definitely come back again and tell us about it. Absolutely. I'd love to. All right. Thanks all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in and we will see you on the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>